Good morning once again and welcome. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it's our privilege to have you gather with us together today for worship. Uh, one thing I want to mention inside of your worship folders today was this little school prayer walk guide. This is something that we do every single year and I want to encourage you to participate. Um, I, I find that I have to give more instructions than I realize I need to. So let me say this. First off, there is no schedule. Okay, This is at your own pace. Uh, what we ask you to do at some point today is to open this up and find one of our local schools um, or two or six. Sometimes we've had, we've had groups that have gotten together and done a whole lot of them, but a school or two or three, we would ask you to go to that school and just to pray over that school. Pray over the teachers and the students, the faculty, the staff, everybody that will be a part of that school in coming Days, weeks, and even years. Um, here in Kershaw County, school starts tomorrow. It's super early, so if you don't have a child at home, you might not know that, but they'll start in school tomorrow, so watch out for school zones. They will arrest you. Um, but I uh, just want to encourage you to participate in this. Um, it, it, it's, it's really, really widely appreciated, as you might imagine, from our teachers and our faculty. Uh, not, not, we, we've got some private schools that are not listed in here. Home schools are not listed in here. So here's what we've always done, or often done as a family, is if we know that there's a, one of our families who homeschools in our community, we'll, we'll sometimes just drive by and pray out in front of their house or pray in their yard and just pray for all those homeschool families. You might even gather here just to pray for those, uh, those homeschool families, those private school families that are part of our church body. But I just strongly encourage you to do that. Um, uh, pray for our students as they go back and teachers and faculty. So that's the purpose of this. Please utilize it, okay, at your own pace. You don't have to meet anybody. You can you want to meet with your life group and go together, that's great. But if you just want to do it with your family or all by yourself, that's great too. We should encourage you to do that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Jude. Now, you'll be forgiven if you didn't know that exists. It is one of the smallest books in the Bible, and I'm going to tell you how to get there. It's easy to find. If you'll turn all the way to the end, you'll get to Revelation. If you'll just start turning backwards, you'll discover, well, I guess that would be forward. I don't know. If you'll go the other direction, turn to the end and go back just a little bit. It's Jude is the little bitty letter right before the book of Revelation. Jude is right before Revelation. So Jude is only one chapter, so we don't give chapter and verse when we read in the book of Jude. We only give the verses. So we're going to read Jude 17 through 25. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word while I read. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit to keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let's pray together. Oh, oh we're going to read all the way to verse 25. I shorted you. Sorry. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time. And now and forever, amen. It would have been a shame to have missed that. Let's pray together. Father God, we do pray that all the glory that we know already belongs to you. 
that all the glory that we can would be returned to you this morning in our praise. We pray, Lord God, that you would impress upon us the importance, the necessity, and the opportunity of living, not only, Lord God, for our glory, but living for your glory. Move among us, we pray, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. How are you persevering in the love of Christ? Several years ago, we had it in our mind to build our own home gym at our house, um, and, and we, we had a, a space there that we could utilize for that, and so it fell upon my shoulders to put together um, our, our home gym uh, as best as we could, and so I began ordering equipment. It just so happened that all this began right as COVID hit, so it was a challenge. We, we, we began sort of in January, and then you know COVID rolls in in February and March, uh, but I, I got all the things that, that really mattered to me. You know, I had, I had a bench and a squat rack and all sorts of weight, and, and, and Angela was, was using it too, which was a little surprising. The kids would go out, so we began to add a few other things. And one day Angela looked at me, she said, it's great that you can lift a Volkswagen. She said, but I, 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 think, I think we need to do something for cardiovascular health. And I mean, I'm like, really? Do we have to? That doesn't seem like a great idea to me. And so she comes to me with this little bicycle that she thinks that we should buy. And I give her anything she wants. And so she presents this thing to us. And, um, and I purchased it. And when we purchased this, um, it arrived at our house. It actually came uh, around Christmas time. And Wyatt and I, and maybe Aubrey, we, we were out in the garage freezing to death putting this thing together to make to make mom happy. But what I, what I forgot was that this was ours. And it was an expectation that I, the man with heart disease running in his family, was supposed to utilize this piece of equipment. And it was when I began to try this thing that I discovered that, that a home gym is actually a home-built torture room. And so I mounted that bike one day in the spring of that year, I believe. And I... I began to pedal because I know that I can do this and pedal away I did on that that little echo bike and pedal and pedal and it's one of those fan bikes you know so you got the arm movement and it's a rogue echo bike and you got the feet and everything's going crazy and and I start off strong because I am the man of this domain this is my gym and I kid you not I ended up in the fetal position in the floor laying there praying for death for some reason, Angela walked out. She said, hey, are you going to get so-and-so from practice? I said, yeah, I'm going to go in just a minute. Five minutes later, she came back. I'm still laying in the floor in the fetal position. She said, how about I go? And I just whispered up. I said, thank you. <laughs> there was no perseverance. That thing almost killed me, almost died right there in my own house. Well, a lot of times we can start off really strong in a lot of things. Sometimes we can start off really strong in our Christian faith, but... Are we persevering, persevering in the love of Christ? In other words, are we going to finish the race? The book of Jude is written by Jude, who is most likely the brother of Jesus. It's important that Jesus' brothers are writing letters. You remember when Jesus was alive, his brothers thought he was crazy. Then all of a sudden, something shifts. What in the world would shift from them literally saying, hey, this guy's having a mental health episode, we need to take him home, to suddenly they're following him, leading the church. i tell you what changed. They saw him come back from the dead. Okay, That was the shift. He wasn't crazy. You're crazy if you say you're coming back from the dead. You're God if you actually pull it off. You understand? So this letter, Jude... 
um, was written by Jesus' brother Jude, probably short for Judas, as you might imagine. We drop the little last syllable there after the experiences of Jesus' life. And so Jude writes this letter to a particular church, and he warns them about false teachers and all these other things. But we pick up right here in the very last part of the book of Jude with a reminder to persevere. You might remember that here in the month of July, we've just been kind of hitting a hodgepodge of sermons that we believe might be really powerful and impactful for you guys in your everyday life. We're going to pick back up an act starting next Sunday. But today, I want to spend a few minutes reminding you that we've got to persevere as followers of Jesus. But how do we do that? The first thing we've got to do is remember God's words. Remember God's words. I recently listened to a podcast interview with a guy named Jeff Struker. Um, who was a 24-year-old Army Ranger during the whole Black Hawk Down scenario. 18 hours that he spent uh, in his Humvee in the middle of all of that. And uh, in the podcast, I, I just appreciated, he said, after, eight, after I parked my Humvee 18 hours later, riddled with bullet holes, this, these were the questions that I kept being asked by other soldiers. They said, how were you so calm? And Jeff Stricker explained to them that his faith in Jesus Christ had given him courage even in the middle of those very difficult days, very difficult hours rather. That he really was convinced that he was going to die, but he wasn't worried about that because he knew that his eternity was secure in Christ. These testimonies are powerful. There was no doubt that as he shared the gospel with these men, it carried great weight. How did you become a Christian? Maybe there was somebody, you probably didn't become a Christian in Mogadishu. You might not have become a believer because you saw somebody live through a firefight. But more likely than not, there was somebody that you saw who lived a life that honored Christ. But here was what they shared with you that mattered the most. They shared the Word of God with you. At some point, someone shared the good news of Jesus Christ. Y'all, the first step to persevere in the love of Christ is to remember the first step in your Christian journey. The first step to persevere in the love of Jesus Christ is to remember the first step in your Christian journey. And what was that first step? The Word of God that gave you life. The Word of God that called you to repentance. That's that first step where God is moving and acting through the Word of God. If you're going to persevere, you've got to remember God's Word. Live on this Word. But if you noticed, my point there was that you would remember God's words. Not just his word, but his words. What does that mean? Well, we collectively refer to this book as God's word. But inside of this book, there are lots of words. It's sort of the difference between appreciating a forest and noticing the trees. Some of you wholeheartedly acknowledge that this is the Word of God and that it is true and infallible and valuable for your life, and yet you have not taken time to open it up and get to know the words that are involved therein. Some of you celebrate this book without ever reading its contents. Some of you could write more words in the dust on your jacket than you've read inside of your Bible in the last six months. We need to remember God's words, His specific commands and expectations and exhortations. 
He's given us this word for His glory and for our good. The words contained in this book are life to all who would cling to them. Never miss the specific words of God in your effort to value the whole word of God. Heaven forbid that we would be found as those people who would scream and yell and fight for people to honor the word of God without ever being changed by the words of God. Without ever being impacted by the words of God. Because those specific words, they give value to this word. What are the words of God that are shaping your life on a regular basis? Are you spending time in this word, consuming the words contained therein? How is is it that God's words are changing you, are impacting you? Just imagine that people told others how valuable your words were and they never stopped to listen to them themselves. Wouldn't that be kind of crazy? Isn't it insane that we would celebrate the importance of the book without supporting or celebrating the the content contained therein? This book matters because it is God's words. Don't miss those. How are you going to persevere? Remember God's words. By the way, where am I getting this from? Go back to, to verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles, our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jude is writing to them, encouraging them to persevere, the first thing he says is, hey, remember the words. Remember. One of the dangerous things about our digital age is we remember absolutely nothing. I was reading... Just so that y'all can appreciate my level of nerdiness, we'll take it to another level today. I was reading play, uh, some, some from Plato on Friday night in the Phaedrus in another book. But in that book, uh, Socrates gives warning to Plato about what? He gives warning about the written word. This is an age where the written word and the ability to contain the written word uh, was just being collected. And, and, and what was Socrates' warning? That once the words are written down, no one will ever remember them again. To some degree, he was right. Oral memory began to decline the moment that writing came about. And then with the the advent of the printing press, we lost even more of that oral memory. And today, you don't even know your mama's phone number. You don't have to admit it if she's sitting beside you. But that's where we are. we, We collectively are losing this. And unless we work diligently, we won't have it. Folks, I want you to know. It's not enough to be able to grab it out of your back pocket. You need to be able to recall it quickly. It needs to be shaping who you are. Remember God's words. The second thing, we should expect scoffers to cause division. Now, I I used that word on purpose. I left it. That's the word the Bible uses. Verse 18, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers. That's a word that we don't use regularly in our language. Um, It's it's a word that that sort of means... um, a person that would bring division, a person that would be uh, unteachable, uh, boastful, mock, mockish. That's not a word. That would be filled with mockery. Maybe that's a word, right? This is what a scoffer, a scoffer is somebody who knows everything and doesn't have time to hear what you have to say about anything. If the Bible's warned us that scoffers would cause division, why do we act surprised when it happens? 
We see these arrogant people that come in that seem to know everything, and the next thing you know, they're dividing people. We go, well, I can't believe he would do that. Why wouldn't you believe it? The Bible said he would. Right there. Or she. Ladies, you're not exempt from this. It's right there. A scoffer is a person who is not in the church to grow and learn because, why? Because they already have everything they need. They sometimes find their way into a church building and sometimes even into church membership. But the reality is they never submit themselves to the church. They never submit themselves to the authority of the church. They never submit themselves to the body of believers. They've got it all figured out. And watch, if they don't have it all figured out, you want to pick out a scoffer, watch. Even if they don't have all the answers today, they will have them later, but they don't need your help to get all the answers. The scoffer says, I gotta do, I, I, I can do this. The scoffer is not learning from anybody. Scoffers often reject books, sermons, lecture series. Because their direct line with God is all they need. And it's not actually possible. They might misunderstand something that was contained in this word. If you believe different than they do, the only, the only explanation is that you misunderstood God's word. Scoffers are confident that their answers are the right answers and the best answers and the only answer that ought to be appreciated. The Psalms begin with an admonition to avoid scoffers. Psalm 1. Turn back there real quick. If you remember, Psalms is in the middle. If you get to Job, you went too far, which I did. All right. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I was talking about this with uh, Pastor Adam this week. I appreciate what he said. He said, the Psalms begin this way with a warning that you can't, the, the Bible's hymn book begins with a warning that you can't even worship the Lord right if you're spending all your time with scoffers and mockers. The Psalms begin with this admonition. It's difficult to worship when you surround yourself with those who question, and cre question God and create division. It is difficult to worship when you surround yourself with those who question God and create division. But for some reason, rather than avoid scoffers, we give them positions of influence and even authority in the church. Why do we do this? Well, I can tell you why first. It's easy. It's easy. Because these people join the church, right? And the first thing they say is, I want to teach. Years ago, I had, we had, I've been here forever now, so this could have been like 14 years ago. I don't even remember now. But years ago, we had somebody that joined our church. And the uh, first thing that, that this guy did is walk in my office and said, I would like to teach. I said, well, perhaps that could be an opportunity for you once you've you know, grown here and, and we get to see which, what you got going on. Well, I'm a really good teacher. <laughs> You're probably not the guy we want teaching. Um, so, and then he said, and I want you to disciple me. I said, well, brother, my plate's kind of full. I got all these children. I got these other people I'm investing in. I've got, I've got Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. open. I will meet you Tuesdays at 6 a.m. He said, well, that doesn't work for me. Sorry. That's what I got. Six to seven. I want two hours. I said, brother, you ain't getting two hours. I'm sorry. He then looked at me. He said, 
Well, I don't know why you don't want to be my friend. I said, I didn't say that. I have been friends with every pastor at every church I've ever been a part of. I said, and you've been a part of a whole lot of them, haven't you? I said, brother, my friend plate is full. I can meet you at 6 a.m. and I'd be happy to spend time with you, but you don't get to dictate where my time gets spent. It wasn't long before that very person was creating division within our church body. You see, the reality was this person didn't want to be taught. He didn't want to grow. He wanted Jesus on his terms, and he wanted the church on his terms. And the reason that folks like that can sometimes be appointed to positions of leadership and authority in a church is because it's easy. When somebody says, I need somebody to teach, they're jumping up and down going, pick me, pick me. And folks, it's sometimes those are the ones that were going, whoa, 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 let's not pick them. Let's, let's give us some time. That's the reason. Nobody, nobody serves in our church here until they've been here for at least six months. And even then, like, we're not just giving out free passes. You want to know how we find life group leaders? We find life group leaders because people have been plugged into other life groups. And the, the leaders in those life groups are coming and going, hey, so-and-so has been really adding a lot of value to our life group over the past 6, 8, 10, 12 months, 24 months. I think that that person would be an excellent leader in another life group. We begin praying about that. And then we ask the life group leaders to disciple them and bring them along and invest in them and to have those conversations. That's where this stuff comes from. We have to be careful, though, because scoffers are always trying to weasel their way in. And their intention is not, let me grow in Christ and as a part of the church body. The intention is always, look at me and listen to me. Folks, it's also easy because worldly wisdom is appealing. That's what Jude warns us about right here. And the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. What are the ungodly passions? It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Listen to me. If you cause... Di- I, I always have to say this. To my knowledge, we don't have division here right now. So like, sometimes when I say, preach these sermons, i got people that walk out going, where's all the division? I don't know of any, okay? But just listen. Work with me. If you cause division in the church, you need to ask yourself the question whether or not you are living a life that is characterized by godliness. There are a lot of people who stomped their foot and, and, and told the whole wide world, well, the church is divided, but that's because they weren't doing right, and I am in the, I'm in the right here. Folks, let's be really careful. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of unity. We should be working diligently to hold on to that. See, worldly wisdom is appealing, and sometimes people are successful in the world, and we want that kind of success in the church. We have to be careful. The arrogance and swagger that are often present in worldly success has no place in the church. We are called to look like Jesus, not John Wayne, right? And I like John Wayne a whole lot, just for the record. The church is a spiritual organism and it must operate according to the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. The church is a spiritual organism and it must operate under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul says the message that we preach is foolishness to many. Because the way that we operate doesn't look like the world outside. So we've got this warning that scoffers will cause division. we got the psalmist who says, avoid scoffers. What then do we do? Folks, we understand that we avoid them. We continue to teach them, to love them. 
But when we find those folks who are not willing or eager to learn and to be shaped and molded, to submit themselves under the hand of God's church, folks, we got to not give them positions for two reasons. And this is important. Number one, for the protection of the church. You don't want to give people a position where they could easily create division within the church body. But the other thing is when we're dealing with immature believers who crave gossip and division, for instance, we don't give them positions of authority in the church because it is not spiritually healthy for them. Do you understand? The last thing we want to do is to look at somebody and say, hey, there's, there's a, I have a concern in your life about this particular area, and it seems like one of your great weaknesses is that you're tempted to create division and gossip. The worst thing that I want to do is to put you in a position where you could most easily create division and gossip. Listen, if you robbed banks for a living, you got arrested, you did your time, and then you came back. And, you know, 30 years later, you come back, you're like, hey, I knocked off six banks in California. It was a good living. Everything's okay. But I want to join your church. Say, we're glad to have you. Let me tell you, we're not going to put you in charge of counting money. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You know, we're not. not gonna, we're not going to put you there. The last thing we want to do is put you in a place where you would be tempted and that's why when we deal with scoffers, mockers, arrogant folks, the last thing we want to do is put them in a position of authority or leadership where they would be easily tempted. Right? I have folks that come in regularly and they say, what can I do? Folks, come in here and serve. Come in here and serve. Serve faithfully. The Lord makes and molds us that way. All right? So... Expect scoffers to call it. Remember God's words. Expect division from scoffers. Number third this morning, what it, like, what it looks like to persevere in the love of Christ. Be different. Be different. Two words. Be different. There is an expectation that God's people be easily distinguished from the world. There is an expectation that God's people be easily distinguished from the world. We had a lady that was in a car accident uh, at the end of the week. And uh, I drove right past her vehicle in the ditch, smashed in, just kept on driving, 60 miles an hour. Somebody called me like 10 miles down the road and said, hey, did you hear so-and-so was in a wreck? I said, no, I didn't. <gasps> oh, no. I drove past them on the side of the road. Fortunately, they were just waiting on a tow truck. They'd already been taken home, saved by the bell. Why didn't I notice? Because it's a vehicle that lots of other people drive and a coat that lots of other people have. It just didn't stand out to me. It just didn't stand out. You know? Is your life a vehicle like lots of other people drive? It just doesn't stand out to anybody? Do you, do, you, do you live a life for Christ that sticks out like a sore thumb a little bit? Or, or do you just go with the flow? We were at the beach a few weeks ago. I went for a run. I didn't tell this story, did I? No, I didn't. Good. Thought I'd screwed up my sermon illustration. Went for a run, and um, uh, so the wind was blowing about 478 miles an hour. And so I decided the first thing I would do is turn into the wind. And I, I ran uh, about a mile into the wind this way. And then I turned around, and I picked up a mile with the wind. And my expectation was that I was going to actually run better time on the way back because the wind. What I didn't anticipate is that my... My pace time, my, my speed, must have been almost an exact match for the wind speed that day. And so what happened is that as I ran, rather than picking up the benefit of the wind pushing me, 
it's like I was running in a vacuum. There was no wind blowing anywhere near me. I was running with it. My hair wasn't moving. And I mean, I was just sweating like crazy, just absolutely dying. Felt like I couldn't breathe. Everything was miserable. Everything was hurting. I wanted to lay down and call somebody to come pick me up and save my life, but I'd left my phone, so I just had to keep it up. I'm running and I'm suffering, and I thought, Lord, there's got to be a sermon illustration in the middle of this somewhere. And there is. You know what I discovered is that when I was going with the flow of the wind, I didn't feel anything. I, 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 it, wasn't, it wasn't like I felt like the wind was pushing me along. It wasn't that at all. It was just easy. It was, there was no resistance. See, a lot of times we kind of create this false idea, idea here that, that, well, if you're going along with the world, you do that because it just feels good and they're really propelling you forward. Folks, if you don't feel any headwinds in your life because of your Christian faith, you're probably not going against the grain of the world around you. When I turned back into that wind, I knew. Folks, there should be resistance in our lives because following Jesus looks different than not following Christ. Making decisions about our sexual lives, making decisions about our financial lives, making decisions about where we spend our time and our talents and our treasures, that's different. If there's never been a point in time in your life where your financial contribution to the things of the Lord caused you to step back and say, hey, this is going to cost me an opportunity to do something else, listen, you're not yet at the place where God's called you to. If there's never been a point in time in your life where your reputation shifted a little bit because you realize that to walk with Jesus in this place meant to, cre- to draw a line in the sand and make a difference between me and my, my family or my friends. Y'all, you're not doing it right yet. we got to be moving into the wind. There's got to be a difference. Look, he keeps going. Verse 20, but you, there it is again. That's why I titled title the sermon this, right? He says, there's all these things. He says, but you. But you, verse 20, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Look at that. we got four things. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait for the mercy of Christ to be realized. What's that mean? That means we're anticipating Christ's return or our going home to be with him. That's what that waiting is, that holding on, that keeping. This is what healthy Christians do. Healthy Christians are acting this way, living this way. Healthy Christians build themselves and others up in the Spirit instead of seeking to tear others down. What do we have right here? Scoffers who are trying to create division and tear others down. He says, but you, you're building others up. You're building the church up. But you, you're a reason that others around you are better. The old adage that, you know, the, 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 the tide rises, the tide rises, everybody rises with it, right? When's the last time that you sought to be the tide that was pushing everybody up? That's what Christians are supposed to do. We make the world better because we're there. Because we're doing something. We're making an impact. We're making a difference. We're living for Jesus. How do you persevere? Remember God's words. Expect division from others. In other words, expect there to be friction. Be different. And finally this morning, do whatever it takes to rescue the lost. 
whatever it takes. If you're going to persevere in the love of Christ, you must be sharing the gospel. You must be doing the will of Christ until he returns. What was his commandment, right? The great commandment, go and make disciples. We've got to be serious about it. Read with me. Verse 21, 22 rather, and have mercy on those who doubt, saving others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Do whatever it takes. How? How do we do it? Wherever, whenever, however, whatever it takes. Paul said he became all things to all people so that by all means necessary he might save some. Paul said whatever it takes, I'm going to do all that I can to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Folks, we should be, you should be doing what Ever it takes. I had a conversation with a guy actually just yesterday. He's been saved for about five years. Um, middle aged fella. Well, middle aged. See, this is what you do as you hit 40, you start referring to middle age as like 65, you know? Right? So, uh, whatever. 65 ish, let's just say that. Can't believe her about five years ago. This guy's done all kind of cool things with his life. He said, Craig, you know what I became convicted about? That the number one thing I'm going to talk about is Jesus Christ. He said, I I, I talk about all these other things. He said, but I want to make sure that when I leave somebody from a conversation, that Jesus has come up. He said, and this is how I got convicted about it. He said, somebody looked at me one day and said, when you meet somebody, what do you you talk about? He said, I don't know. He said, what do you talk about? He said, I I guess I'll talk about my wife. He said, that's great. What's next? He said, I, I, I guess my, my kids, I, I don't know. Okay, what's next? He's like, my, my hobbies maybe, what's next? I, my job, I don't know, what do you want? He said, what place does Jesus have in your life? Where is he? Folks, are we doing whatever it takes to rescue the lost? We're doing whatever it takes to be different and proclaim the gospel? You see, our evangelism should be defined by grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. That's what he says. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Let me give you a picture of what Jude is painting right here. He's giving us this multifaceted approach to evangelism. So he says, for those who doubt, I want you to have mercy with them. Be patient. There are those for whom there are sincere doubts and questions. They're trying to figure it out, but they just aren't there yet. Jude says, be patient, have mercy, come alongside them, walk with them. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. He says, there are some that are running headlong toward destruction. Grab them. If I see one of your children darting out into traffic when I'm standing out front this morning, when we finish up, I will not ask your permission to tackle them and keep them from being ran over. I'll apologize if I skin their knee or if I, if I hurt them, but I will not apologize for saving them from running out into traffic. You understand? Snatching them. This is what he's talking about. There's some who are running headlong into destruction. And our evangelistic efforts to them should be a little bit different. We've got to grab them. We've got to help them to understand you're killing yourself and you're running straight to hell. Snatch them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Folks, there are those that we're not going to be able to snatch. They're so deeply entrenched in their sinful lives. 
and in sinful lives that are even scary for us. For us. Perhaps they're, they're in, grow, engaged in sinful activity or practices that would be of a particular weakness for you or a particular temptation. Those are the folks that we're going to be terrified. If you're the bank robber and you're trying to share, share the gospel with another bank robber, let me tell you what you are. You're terrified. You're terrified. You're a recovering alcoholic. You're probably not walking into bars to tell people about Jesus. Because you need to be terrified of those sins that can grab you. So what are we doing? We recognize the danger that they're in. We're going to burn their clothes if that's what it takes. But we're lovingly doing all that we can to bring them to Christ. We're laboring passionately. But as we do so, we acknowledge that we have a sincere hatred for the sin that holds them captive. When's the last time you actually hated the sin that held someone captive? See, evangelism is different for different kinds of people. Folks, we need to be okay with that. We need to be acceptable of that, accepting of that. Evangelism is, is, is patient, even. One of the places that we really mess up with evangelism, and, and let me just be honest with you, is we, we have a, our own approach to evangelism or, or skill that we use, and we just go in there and we just go like, boom, let me read this off to you. You can get saved if you want to, but if not, that's all right, too. I did my job. I told you about it. Imagine the doctor that walked into you and said, all right, let me ask you this question. I did my job. I told you about it, and they walk away. Y'all, if we're going to be serious about winning people to Jesus, we're going to have to get down in the dirt with folks. We're going to have to walk with them. We're going to throw away our cookie-cutter approaches to evangelism because we're going to actually have to walk with people, grab them by the hand, and get them to where they need to be. Do you know why we don't like doing that? Because it's hard. It's hurtful. Man, it's painful when you walk with somebody in addiction and you see them take two months, three months, four months, 12 months of sobriety and then throw it down the pit. And yet that's what we've been called to do. That's where we're supposed to be. Y'all, in just a moment, we're going to transition to the Lord's Supper, which is why all these kids are coming back. But it brings us to the place where we need to be. Um... We should be practicing evangelism in ways that mimic our Savior. The one who would hang on a cross and die for our sin. The one whose approach to missions was characterized by self-sacrifice and love and grace. The one who hated even the garment stained by flesh. There's a lot of them. <laughs> All right. So, church family, um, we're going to transition now to the Lord's Supper. Because as we consider what it looks like to persevere in the love of Christ, we can be reminded this morning that we persevere because Jesus died. And we're going to, to this Sunday, 
be using these little cups again. Um, we're hoping that all of our COVID experiences have run past, but we still got a bunch of these we need to use. Um, uh, let me just give you instruction. Well, actually, uh, we're going to have some of our deacons that come forward and grab these. Raise your hand if you didn't get some of these when you came in. A lot of folks. Okay, guys, y'all got your work cut out. Okay, as you get it, just hold on to it, and we will observe the Lord's Supper together. All right, as they're going, I'm going to go ahead and give you instructions, okay? Y'all pay attention, listen. Some of y'all have done these before, and some of you haven't. Thank you. So you got a little piece of cellophane on top. And once you get it, just go ahead and peel back that little piece of cellophane, and it's just going to just expose the little wafer, okay? So just go ahead and do that. If you got somebody sitting beside you with arthritis or something, they may have a really difficult time with that, so you help them out. If you're a visitor with us this morning, this is not how we usually do it. So if it seems a little bit disjointed, we apologize. Feral. They, need, they may need some more over here. Y'all got enough? Y'all good? I just want to point out this is chaotic this morning um, because our kids are here and we're okay with that, right? But we bring them back in because we think it's super important for them to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. So we welcome the chaos these little guys bring to us. Okay, you good? Anybody else? Okay, thank you. All right, so um, apologize. We kind of got out of practice doing it this way. So if, if that was a little bit awkward, I apologize. Um, let me just give you a couple of things about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for those who belong to Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never received Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you this morning to abstain from, from taking the Lord's Supper and instead to take Jesus. We do this as a, as a meal of remembrance. We're talking about how it looks this morning for what we should do to persevere in the love of Christ. And one of the ways we persevere is by regularly remembering what Jesus has done for us. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I would urge you, don't take the Lord's Supper this morning. Instead, in just a few minutes, I would ask you to take Christ. In just a few minutes, you'll be given an opportunity to respond. And I would love to pray with you and help you to understand what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, but having said that this morning, I would like to read to you from the book of 1 Corinthians, beginning 
in verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Let's pray real quickly. Lord God, we thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ that was freely given so that we might live. Help us to regularly remember your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Open the juice. You're going to grab the rest of that tab. Peel it back easily so you don't spill it on yourself. Okay? If you've got, like I say, somebody with arthritis or maybe little hands, if you'll try to help them out. In the same way, also he, that is Jesus, took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Let's pray once more. Father God, we thank you that Jesus shed his blood so that we might live. Thank you that our sins have been washed away. In Christ's name, amen. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We observe the Lord's Supper because it was the last act that Jesus did, really one of the last acts that Jesus did with his disciples before he was crucified. The Bible teaches us that after he instituted the Lord's Supper, the disciples went with him up on the Mount of Olives and they sang. So this morning we will finish our service out with song. And as we do, I want to invite you, if you are here today and you don't have a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ, Maybe something like the Lord's Supper hit you sideways. You're not entirely sure what to do with all that. How to understand it. That there would be someone who would love you enough to die, to give their life so that you might live. I want you to know that Jesus loves you right where you are. That if you would call upon the name of the Lord today, you'll be saved. Some of you are here today because somebody was getting baptized. Or maybe somebody invited you or your mom just told you you need to be here. I don't care why you're here. I know this. Jesus has you here for a reason. And perhaps he has you here so that you might... Confess your sins and be forgiven. It doesn't matter where you were last night or where you were planning to go this afternoon. Jesus can save you today, right now. As we sing, I would invite you to come forward this morning. I would love to lead you to somebody that can pray with you and introduce you to Jesus. Secondly, this morning, you may have recently made a decision for Christ and you'd like to make that decision public. Perhaps this morning there's just something else going on in your life and you'd like to come up here and pray. Whatever it is that the Lord may be doing in your life, however he may be working, as we sing, I invite you to respond. You can respond at your seat with hands raised as we sing and worship. Respond here in prayer, however the Lord leads you. Let's pray once more. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the love of Jesus. Help us to persevere in that love and to be changed and challenged. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us.